0: Hi everyone and welcome back to In The Weeds podcast. I've got to say, I'm really super excited about this episode as we go to Berlin in in the series where we're going around the world, touching base with people, seeing the stories. Coffee is a big part of my day. Obviously it's a big part of um, my working life as well through uh, our Bowl Street coffee brand. And it's a big ritual of, of my day, an important part. Of how I approach it, which uh, which is maybe a problem to some people, but to me, I enjoy it. It's a, it's a fascinating world and one which this guy can explain a lot more about. And that is Ralph Ruya from the Barn, which is one of the most iconic brands now and roasters in the world, and some great shops as well in in the middle of Berlin. So it was great to have him on, taking his time out. If you if you're into coffee or you want to learn a little bit more about about that side of the specialty coffee world, this is a great episode for you. So, as always, thanks for listening, and please enjoy this one. Firstly, I'd just like to say that this series and this podcast is brought to you in association with LWC, the UK's largest independent drink supplier, fantastic portfolio, serving over thirteen and on-trade suppliers, and most importantly, seven days delivery. They've been an ally of my company GSG Hospitality for a number of years. Hey guys, welcome back to In The Weeds Podcast. This is episode four of season four. I'm absolutely delighted to have Mr. Ralph Ruya, the founder of The Barn, one of the, I think, the, the well-known biggest brand in Europe now, coffee. How are you doing? You good? Very well. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's, it's, it's early morning. I'm on my second Chemex here
1: <laughs> and uh, trying to get my caffeine levels up and I'm very excited to, to speak With- to you. What, what are you drinking this morning? This is actually, I have to be honest, it's a blend. I I had a bag that wasn't really 30 grams for my Chemex, So I mixed a little bit of um, a coffee called La Nueva Montaña with another one from Guatemala called El Aguacate. It's kind of nice, nice yeah. washed.
0: Yeah. I was going to say to you while I was drinking one of your coffees, but as we just discussed, Harry... Didn't put the order in in time, so we'll uh, we'll out him on here for that. But um, <laughs> so I'm going to I'm drinking a little Ancoats number. It's a man. okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. My- Myanmar, okay, yeah. cool. from Manchester.
1: What's that tasting,
0: Myanmar? Good. Big blackberry, quite light. Yeah, just a little V60 straight into the cup because I was running. As I say, <laughs> my girls were in in school today, so it was a bit tight for time best way um cool well listen right. so you're coming, you, you, you are you in berlin right now yes yes i was accidentally last weekend
1: in uh, in the uk i was in london boris johnson let me in it was quite <laughs> complicated with all the documentation in and out but uh it was absolutely fantastic to be back in in london and get a feel and a vibe and also to see what's going on with the shops there and then compare. A little bit of course what is happening in berlin uh, right now and uh, yeah it's uh, it's 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 really good to see that uh, similar themes are happening the neighborhood cafes are busy in london they're also busy in berlin and then some areas um uh, you know we have 10 cafes now and some are in touristic areas and and office areas, and they are suffering quite a bit, yeah. um, as you can imagine. But uh, we have great coffee, so <laughs> we are uh, we are in a good mood.
0: <laughs> yeah, that always helps. So interesting, you say. Obviously, we I know we discussed a little bit about the coffee industry's been largely unaffected. I'd say from COVID, pretty much from other other sides of it. Just just so that the audience knows, though, can you tell us a little bit? I know you probably tell it many times, but the story of the barn and how you um? How you came about doing it? Yeah,
1: I mean, I I don't know. You have to stop me if I talk too much. No, but, no,
0: no. Um, the podcast. <laughs>
1: So I used to live in London for ten years, actually near Borough Market. So I was a heavy coffee consumer, and my daily fix was at Monmouth Cafe at, at around London Bridge. And uh, moving back to to Germany, I'm German, firstly, as you can tell by the accent. Um, <laughs> I was looking for something new in my life, and I fell into hospitality. A friend asked me to help him work in his uh, daily. Um, I was baking cakes and making food, and I learned uh, hospitality from scratch. A lot of cleaning involved, staff, scheduling, marketing, dealing with landlords and what have you. So I really, really enjoyed that. And um, I was thinking about starting my own my own business. And um, so I went to the countryside outside of Berlin and I was browsing the whole weekend, thinking like, what do I feel passionate about? And it, it, it very quickly came to coffee, fresh bread and and homemade cakes. So everything I enjoyed in my childhood and coffee in london and so the barn was born the idea was born and i opened i found a little space near my near my flat uh, walking distance i felt oh if that fails i can i can make an office out of it or something so i had a very small space and and i also felt very strongly about doing what i like so i never really analyzed a market or i felt like oh what's needed in town what's my KPI and my <laughs> my competitive advantage, and so I always thought like, what is it that I really want to do? And mm-hmm. so I it, so I had a very reduced menu, and I also didn't want to deviate from my menu. So I kind of like the opposite of Starbucks, where everything is allowed, and and so I felt if I fail, I fail with my own taste, and um, but maybe there are other people that enjoy what I'm enjoying, and so I wanted to push coffee quality at the highest level. So I felt specialty coffee was at the time, that's 10 years ago, starting to trend a little bit towards more like, what do people need? What can we do to have a successful business? Rather than thinking, it's specialty coffee. So I'm a specialist. So I'm expected to do something very special and very different. And it doesn't need to match expectations because we need to build a market. And how do we do that? We do that by sharing knowledge, by sharing experiences, let people taste and also serve coffee maybe in a different way. So from the beginning, I had hand brews um, next to um, the espresso machine, of course. But my filter coffees would always be black. So I would tell people no sugar and no milk allowed. And just by small things and tweaks, uh, um, you know, it became a talking point and a lot of people came and they were curious, why is he doing that? And so I felt uh, being very clear on your vision and on your mission, if you will, um, all you, all also sets you apart from what already exists in the market. And I feel that's a very interesting way of approaching it. And um, it also promotes specialty coffee, I feel. And I think we should should all do more of that and really bring people into the world of single origin and terroir and talk about this beautiful farm in Myanmar that you just tasted and then talk about it and, and see how people like it. And I feel like that's always been my mission. And so um, it um, the barn was very successful very quickly because it was very, very clear in
0: what it wanted to be i feel and so the the shop you're talking about is that the original shop that's there still now don't yeah
1: know. yeah that's the one in the gallery district we call the baby barn because so small yeah and uh it's really i don't know it uh, i never changed it i also felt very strongly especially going back to london and going to the same fish and chip shop and I feel like they're doing it for 80 years. It's amazing fish and ship, and they're never changing their menu. And they just, or the bagel shop on Brick Lane with a oh, queue, yeah. you know, with a, a very unfriendly staff and um, very cheap bagels. <laughs> and I feel like these are like institutions that you feel like. I want them to be there in fifty years still and say like that's the best bagel in town. Or and so the little bar never changed. And even though the neighboring space was offered to us many times to make it bigger, I felt very strongly about like keeping the original the way it 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 was first experienced. So people can come back when they visit Berlin and they say like oh I've been here five years ago and I had my met my boyfriend or whatever you know I had this amazing Kenyan coffee and. And so I feel like it's all about community and connecting people in a way.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's a great, it's a great I love it there. That's the first one I go to straight away. The, uh, so, yeah. Obviously, you, you said before you're on about 10 sites now, I think. And obviously you've got the roastery as well. Yeah. How, how is like Berlin or in maybe, yeah, let's talk about Berlin. And how has that evolved? Like, how, how is the seed now? From back then? Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I felt a lot happened, obviously. Um,
1: uh, Berlin really benefits from a lot of international young people moving here. A lot of people compared to London in the 70s, you know, things were affordable. And it's uh, the music scene, you know, fashion, you can express yourself. Um, so Berlin has a lot of a lot of that and offers a lot of space as well. It's kind of very spread out, very, very different from London, where you're very concentrated. You open a coffee shop next to the tube and probably one million people will pass your shop every day. Uh, and here it's more like countryside. Sometimes you feel like, oh, where are the cars? Yeah, <laughs> uh, Just a few bicycles. So it, from a business point of view, it doesn't always make sense to open a coffee. And it's probably the reason why none of the larger international coffee names have have come to Berlin. Right. Um, I'm thinking about the Australian kind of chains that you have there or from the US. And so what happened here is like we have a lot of brunch. Coffee shops, I would call it, you know, kind of Australian style, your poached egg, avocado toast. So fresh food, good bread and a cup of coffee. So I would say the very clear concepts that are really focusing on coffee only, uh, I would say we are one of the few that uh, really, you know, take that risk, if you will, just um, mainly focusing on coffee and less on hot food to make things work.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's I, I I see that. So you've got like it, it's Mite or Mite Mite or Mite. Mite. Yeah. Mite, yeah. Mite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it, yeah. you have district, don't you there? And and what's the name? five elephants is another brand. That's probably like but they are very food focused as well.
1: Yes, yeah,
0: they are. They have queues
1: for brunch, yeah. uh, especially district. The one you mentioned. They make beautiful food, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's yeah. Those those things are very successful to have. Like imagine tourists coming, sleeping in. They want a late breakfast, a brunch, and so those places are really catering towards that. And I feel like just going back to what what we stand for in terms of working with farmers, promoting coffee, sharing farm stories, getting people into terroir and flavor. And so that eventually also then people appreciate higher quality coffee and, yeah. and then eventually also pay more for it. I think that's the whole, the whole mission to say like, we need to find ways of opening wallets so that farmers ultimately can earn more money.
0: Yeah, I, I, I wanted to discuss this with you because I know it's something you're passionate about. And obviously we are as well. And, and most people in, who understand that, especially coffee process, people often just see a barista, psh, and there's your coffee. where the, We know that starts a long, long way from there. And obviously the most important <laughs> bit is the farmer. When we get a, a batch from the barn in, in, in both the Muhammad Ali uh, ones you do. They're they're brilliant, and if you got, I was watching a video of you with him, uh, and and the ethos behind it is fantastic. But you know, people, that's all part of the process, isn't it? In the story, do you want to explain a little bit so people who are listening might not understand the process and how, like you just said about really what the farmer should benefit first and foremost.
1: Yeah, so sourcing. Yeah, I mean, it all starts starts at the source. Obviously, we need great coffees; otherwise, we can't serve great coffees. And uh, we feel um, there's so much to do by just engaging and and being a committed partner at source, identifying farmers that want to change to specialty standards and that want to produce quality instead of quantity, yeah. and then rewarding them in a way that's also based on scoring and quality. So they really need to understand what we are looking for. And we do that. So we don't buy direct, but we work direct, if that makes sense. So we we, we have a direct relationship to the farmers. I visit all the farmers, um, but we have an exporter on the ground, obviously, that that moves the coffee, but also teaches the farmer. So they need to know what to do. An example is Kenya, for instance. Remember, two years ago, we had coffee berry disease there because of weather. And uh, without a good export partner and agronomist, the the farmer would have protected the the plants at the wrong time. And then the rain comes and washes away the protection. And then all the cherries are dropping and um, they don't have a harvest. So I feel like that partnership at Source, and we are kind of like this triangle we are buying and we are we need to come back. We are not going shopping for the best coffee of the season in Guatemala. We are going back to, I don't know, Los Naranjales or we are going back to Muhammad Ali yeah. in Ethiopia. And we say like, look, we are buying from you, but you need to give us quality. And then if you do that, we can pay a lot more than you would get in the market. And if it's better than expected, we give you a premium. But definitely what we do is we never go down. So... If, if once you start traveling to a region, you notice that even in specialty coffee, a lot of people are trading on differentials to the sea market, they buy huge volumes and so on. And that that's not us. We, we want to really connect directly and we pay an individual price based on the cost of production of each country and um, based on the quality that we are getting. I think that's the best. And uh, it's very rewarding. The farmers are emotionally connected. They see their name on the back uh, or the farm name on the back. And they meanwhile, they also have access to the internet. They have Instagram and they see the coffees from, from the barn served at Bolt, for instance. And that makes them incredibly proud. You yeah. know, they go like, wow, oh my God, we're in Liverpool. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> that's great. You know, my coffee is there, you know. Yeah, and it's good. <laughs> yeah yeah so so that that is the the sourcing part and then yeah. obviously we are under tremendous pressure also to perform uh, we would never hand out anything substandard or sub quality so we have a roast process in place and also a feedback from all our baristas from our 10 cafes they fill out google sheets every day with feedback on on water on on taste on profiling and that goes back into our roast profiling so that, that process is also controlled in a kind of very Germanic way. I think that's one of our <laughs> virtues that I'm kind of still proud of, uh, even the rest you can going down the drain and like efficiency is a thing of the past for sure. <laughs> and but uh quality control, I think we are pretty good at. Yeah, yeah. And uh and so that that we deliver. So we can can always say like, you know, this is the best Mohammed Ali this season and we are serving it. And so especially during COVID, that is that is very difficult. Um, with delays in, uh, in 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 picking in in processing and in shipping especially so we, we are we are running quite quite big risks at the moment and we do need an export partner to be involved if a coffee fails and is dead on arrival then uh it needs to find another home so the farmer is protected and they won't have a i mean they can't take the coffee back so yeah. it will end up in some blend or in some capsule somewhere. Coffee is a huge market,
0: so there's always a taker for yeah. all kinds of qualities. Yeah, of course, it's a it's well, it's a huge commodity, obviously. But no, that's it's it's you know it's important. But I think the more and more I don't know about what you, your opinion is. Like we mentioned COVID before, I actually think it has introduced a lot of new people into into the specialty coffee, especially people trying stuff at home and, and, trying, and trying to understand it more. I don't know if you've seen that or from your sales, especially from, from going, obviously, worldwide shipping. What, what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yes. I mean, we saw definitely a drift to quality. Um, the moment people were not allowed to go to a restaurant, they were treating themselves at home. And buying home espresso machines and things like that, and we we kind of uh, reinitiated or, or kind of actually really started our Geisha and Rarity uh, masterpiece program in May last year. Mm-hmm. Something that we avoided before because we couldn't really control the. We felt like there's not enough roasts. We always want to have a lot of roasts every week, so. We have consistency in our, uh, in our production roast and with small quantities, we, we, we felt it's a bit tricky. But uh, now that we have a new roastery and um, there is a higher demand also for quality coffees, we can roast more of yes. these super high scoring, very, very expensive, almost like sneaker clubs. We have people from China, they're collecting orders and they are pre-booking this and that geisha, And then before we roast it, it's already sold.
0: Wow, that's great. That's great. Well, it's great to hear. I just wanted to touch a little bit on on the uh, just away from coffee a little bit, but obviously it's related. Just regarding the packaging. So, oh, one one question first: that the actual logo of the barn. What is that?
1: That's um, that's me and my naive. Probably your. Your, 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 could be your daughter's drawing it's mine <laughs> I, I, I was just putting a logo and I said like look I want a logo like it's a house you know it's a house in the mountain look it's like this and then the designers were coming back with all these like fancy like which would probably would have looked good on a business card but I felt like no it needs to be raw and really and then they were in the end they say like fuck you, you know, just take your drawing and we put it, and that's your logo. (laughs) (laughs) But it works really well in Asia. They think it's like a Japanese kanji or something.
0: What is it? Is it a a picture of a barn or not? No? No, yeah, it's just the
1: outside of a house, you know? (laughs) So it's like a barn for me. Yeah, well,
0: there you go. (laughs) That's brilliant. brilliant. (laughs) So... Yeah, obviously, with, with the more obviously distribution happens, and you know the takeaway element and stuff. There's obviously a big, big emphasis on on you know sustainability, zero waste, etc. We, we've we've been looking at, uh, at ourselves as we're going to grow. And I've found we found there's a problem. For example, there's a lot of misconception in the UK. So, for example, I don't know if it's the same in in, in Germany now. So, if, for example, if someone has a compostable cup, people don't know they think, well, I can just throw that in the recycling or I can compost it in my garden, which they can't do. Ah. You see what I mean? Okay. That compostable yeah. then has to go to an actual industrial composter to actually recycle. So people then are, are, are thinking they're recycling, but they're not actually then added to the problem. So there's a sort of a PR issue with that. I see. So there's a lot of kind of misconceptions. So what we're looking at is trying to go like 100% recyclable because it's clear what it is. And I know, obviously, Germany's at, from even going there years ago when I was a kid, very much ahead in how you recycle things and distribute. Look, UK is not organizing that at all. It's starting to, but I think there's a lot of, mm-hmm. like I said, there's a lot of misconception because if you don't know what you're doing with it, you're going to add to the landfill problem. So how what, what's your opinion on it? Obviously, you, you you know, packaging is a big part of your your business. Yeah. I mean, we are also... Discussing right now because from 1st
1: of July, we can't use any plastics anymore. You can just use your old stock. Yeah. And um, so it's, we are also waiting for new gel- uh, legislation at the moment, which then will pass into EU law and uh it's it's kind of tricky that one because you're absolutely right it's i don't work in 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 that industry but from what i understand also talking especially our coffee bags right now we uh we feel very strongly about our craft paper we don't want to change that we really feel it's part of our dna but uh, we need uh, an inner lining obviously to protect uh, the beans otherwise they would be you know they would go back within a few days and um, so um, we are we are looking at options at the moment, but uh, it seems like uh, a recycling option is much better than adding um, anything that's compostable, but then it's not really compostable. So yeah. because the two things are, I mean, it's it's really complicated. We don't have a solution yet. We feel like we have six months to solve it. Yeah, that's that's our deadline. Um, also, the 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 valve obviously is is quite important to us. We we want yeah. the coffees to breathe out and not to breathe in. And um, I to be honest, I don't know. It's like a minefield at the moment, and we are trying to
0: do the right thing, but it's not very very clear at the, at this stage. Yeah, it's because it, the valve has that had a lot of debate, hasn't it, about whether it can be recycled or it can't. Mm. We got now as so well looking yeah. changing our bags, but it's it's it, like you say, it is an absolute minefield because there's not a lot that actually there's a couple of bags that we've we've sourced that actually the valve is recyclable, but I just don't know if the If they're suitable, really. It's a difficult one. Yeah, but we are in the process of setting up a sustainability
1: plan. So we really know what to do in the next 18 months. Yeah. Uh, We know the world is not perfect, but we try to make it more perfect and better. So we are like constantly working on things, but not everything has a solution instantly. But I think it's a good step that people bring their own cup, a reusable cup when they come to the cafe. I
0: think that's really, I think that's really important. And we see that more and more. Yeah, I think. I mean, uh, there's a lot of. I don't know if I know. There's place in the UK that offer uh, like discount if they're using their own cup, for example. The thing with the composting, I mean, the I know some as a solution have uh, if they have compostable cups that people can drop them. Uh, this is this is one thing anyway, but you could drop them at one one place or you drop them back in the shop that then the, yeah. the shop has a uh a contract with like a industrial compost in place who then come around the shops take all the cups oh, yeah. they compost them that's what, oh, yeah cool uh, yeah. yeah but it's i don't know it seemed it, it's it's quite complicated isn't it i think but i know i've seen a couple of restaurants in the uk actually have a composter on site 24 oh. hours yeah maybe they're about this big 24 yeah. hours can compost everything and it's it is a minefield, but I think people. Do, yeah. it, it, it's unfortunate people are uh, the sold PR stuff on it, which is not strictly true. You know, I think. Uh, uh, yeah I think that's mm-hmm. a little, uh, what, What? Why? What? What? What's your opinion on the big, the big coffee, Starbucks, etc.? Yeah, I know mine, but <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh,
1: what?
0: What do you mean in particular? <laughs> well, what, what is the? Uh, what is your thought on the ethics of?
1: I mean, to be honest with you. I focus mostly on what I do and yeah. I try to make it better. I kind of even don't look much at other coffee companies in town because I'm just really busy, I guess. It sounds weird, but I basically awesome. go on a bicycle between my home and my roastery, <laughs> And and then I have coffee here. And so I kind of, and I should do that more often. I did that in London um, and I uh, walked around, obviously looked at coffee shops and so on. But... So I, I, I'm probably not the best person to ask, but I would say this, that, um, of course, we all know that Starbucks um, started branding coffees and they, they opened people's wallets. So they're paying a lot of money for what I think are really good milkshakes <laughs> and, um, but, um, and, and, and it gave us an opportunity to source better because now we can use that pricing and just deliver higher quality. For that price. So Starbucks was very important to move people from one pound for a coffee to three pounds and that gives us a lot more ways of being um, uh, being good. Also the second thing I would say is that Starbucks is doing a lot of good things at source in terms of organizing farms. Mm. Um, you know there's a certification uh, process that is um, was initiated by by Starbucks and it really helps farmers to be more organized in a sense of also how they are treating labor. Yeah. and um how they are how they are processing at the farm in a in a in a better way, so they're also learning from being being uh starbucks um certified so to speak but um but then what Starbucks does with their coffees is a whole other thing you know when they roast it to death and it tastes like ash, that's really weird because some of the coffees are not so bad
0: yeah, it's. Not that, like- it's it's bad isn't it uh, but the way they don't the the milk is done so you can't hire barista. you know if you see a cv where the baristas worked in starbucks it's they don't even do the milk now the milk is done yeah i know, yeah, let, I know. Let, let, So let, now let's get off that subject <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no, i know it's uh it's interesting but
1: and you know if you go to the first starbucks shops uh, shop um, the little one in the harbor of seattle Yeah. I was there a few years ago. And that's that's so cute. And this is like they started the way we started. They were like, oh, there's a container coming from Kenya next week, and it has this this and this flavor and this and that farm and so on. And it all started in a in the same way. So like looking at Starbucks, we should also think about how do we want to scale up and what do we want to be known for when we grow.
0: Yeah. You know? Well, as that has that happened to you, yeah. I mean, because obviously. I, I, I've, on a personal level, I've had it before where people have come and tried to take the group and, it, uh, you know, well, I, that's not why I started. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to see things that it's, you know, I, it's not just about money or ethos. You know, obviously at some point there, the Starbucks, whether they like it or not, it's like the founder, isn't it? The McDonald's uh, film, for example, it's, it's, I saw the, that. yeah, you know, mm. uh, things can go change very quickly and it's out of your control you know oh, right? the chicken wings the, yeah. yeah the chicken well for example <laughs> you know the book stops with you doesn't it at the barn whereas like if, if suddenly there was a board where you sit in and they're making decisions that's mm-hmm. i'm sure that's not where, where you'd want to go no
1: i mean i started this to be also like the beauty of being self-employed is i mean obviously you work all the time but um, you can also decide everything very very quickly and you if you say like Tomorrow we want to do it like that. Then we do it like that. So it's the beauty of
0: a small business. Yeah, you know? that's it's a lifestyle, isn't it? I think that that's part of it. And obviously, you can't. Yeah, you have to. It has to stand with you. So, in in the sense of that, then how do you, the barn has grown to what it is and and the icon brand that it is and and you know it's it's amazing what you've done and what where do you, where do you want to see it go in the next few years or the next five years? Do you have a plan or or are you just going on no. <laughs>
1: I just, I don't have plans. I just do what feels good and it needs to be, it's growing organically. You know, we have opened quite a few shops and now we need to make sure obviously timing was a bit off. (laughs) We went straight into a pandemic. So now we need to get performance up and uh, we, um, we, are, we are hiring at the moment and we, uh, we realized our strength is also training. We want our people to be trained and they have a, a learning curve at the barn and uh, they, we want to empower them to feel comfortable to speak about farms when they speak to our customers. We want to have the luxury of brewing by hand and take the time for that. So we are not Cutting that out because it, it's slowing down or the labor costs are too high, I think it's quite an important part of our culture to present single-origin coffees and to, to to show people how we brew our, our coffee so we will not have a self-automatic steamer. It will always be by hand. And then we need to teach people how to do latte art. So we really feel... Also, the, I had a talk with my head roaster yesterday, and I said, like, look, can you drop videos once a week about new coffees? And I want our staff to see how you cup, and then you should talk about the farm. So, obviously, no one is reading anymore, but they, like a 20-minute video, they may watch in the evening when sure. if it happens once a week, and then they have the information, and then they can can pass it on and share it with the community. I feel that's an important part, and I, I'm not giving up on that. I feel. Uh, in the past, when I've traveled and I looked at uh, cafes that were connected to groceries and the staff had no idea about the coffee and what's coming up next or if they had blends, what's in the blend. Yeah. I feel that that's when you're losing your soul, when the, the integrated the connection is kind of like lost. I feel that's, that's something that I would
0: want to keep. Yeah. And just, are you finding that more difficult as you've grown to to do that or not?
1: No. no, it's more effort and you just need to, I don't know. Look, I'm coming from the countryside. You get up in the morning, <laughs> you know, you do your work, you clean the pavement, whatever, you clean your, you know, you just need to, it's a question of discipline. And then really want the, if the top gives up on it, if I give up on it.
0: Yeah, then it comes down.
1: Then it's, you know, if it needs to come from the top. Sure. So if, if I live it, then and I'm often surprised when I hear my staff talking when we have like a breakfast meeting or like a team meeting and so on. And they talk about farms and coffees and the values of the company. I'm like, Oh, that's so nice. They, they talk about it in the same way as I do. And I think like it carries.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know,
1: but, but you, you can't, You know, I think if there's no passion at the top, it's just like a branding exercise and it's like a hollow bag with like a Fleshy sticker with some cartoons on, you know. I find like the inside is so much more important than the outside.
0: Yeah, no, that that, that that's. I agree. I agree completely. So you know, all your, all your shops currently, the ten shops, are they all in Berlin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would, would you yeah. would you consider another city in Germany or not? um Or well, people have to come to Berlin to taste it?
1: They have to come to Berlin, and to be honest with you, I'd much rather go outside of Germany. Okay. Then, I feel like like the the brand is very well known sure. in other countries. Yeah. And before I go to Munich, I probably come to London. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So I have a reason to visit. That's yeah. <laughs> it's very selfish.
0: No, no, no. It makes sense. Talking about the UK, how do you feel the UK coffee scene has developed as well?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, to be honest with you, like now with two years, kind of like. This was my first visit, but um, I don't know. Like, very interestingly, I was in a coffee shop on Sunday off Brick Lane. Mm-hmm. and um so the they had their own brand on the coffee bag and i didn't know that brand and i said like oh are you roasting and they said like no no we're just repackaging it and we have a local roast and i said like oh is it a secret can you reveal it or who is it so um we started talking about uh roasters and 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 so they asked me like what's your favorite roaster in the uk okay and so that's hard to answer, right? There are so many now, yes. and I, 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 I don't know most of them very well, you know, because um, it's, I feel like in the last four years, so many rosters have opened. But I feel like I, I always come back to the ones that kind of pushed initially the hardest. And, and that's for me, that's Kwama. And I, f- I feel like they are very truthful to their, to their ethos, their sourcing, they're very consistent in delivering. And they are I feel like they are very honest and they do hard work, and so for me that's 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 something that i that I value and um that I feel like it's worth having as a as a role model
0: if you will yeah that's good and that's a that's a very big organization now as well to they still kept their ethos in place maybe like say I must admit though like maybe on on the sense of actually being able to get accessibility for for an actual good cup of coffee. Like London may be thing, but in the north of England, that's only, I would say, in the last five, five years, you've seen a real development that was very, very difficult. You could go to a, you could go to a big town and not be able to get a, a decent cup of coffee. That was normal. Whereas now it's kind of developing the pop I, I would say it's very on it's more on trend than it's probably ever been there's independent cafes are popping up everywhere really no so like you're saying about your you know your loves bread coffee baking cakes i feel like that you know that that is i think how a lot of people are thinking now you're almost going back in time a little bit of a circle of life that people are like well actually that comforting thing of meeting and it's coming back around i think especially in the uk and i think you know, we said it's the first thing I look for. It's becoming bigger and bigger. So, what is that? Is that happening in Germany as well? About uh, maybe slightly ahead. No, I um, I can talk openly because I,
1: I'm German, so I can also <laughs> gossip a little bit about my own folks. Uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> obviously, they invented Aldi and lidl and so um, the supermarkets are really um, disgustingly cheap and full of bad bad quality. And but. That gave an opportunity to local markets and organic concepts and things like that. And I think that's coming. Berlin obviously has a very strong vegan trend. I don't observe it as much in London or in Paris, um, but um, it's very like a lifestyle choice to be vegan here. Uh, So you need to have those things um, on the menu. And that's a a little bit tricky for me because I still bake all the recipes of my mother and we had eggs and milk. So, and I enjoy that. I think you can buy good eggs and good milk, but I do understand vegan as well. So I feel everything handmade, similar to London, we have... The winners in the pandemic were the ones that were doing sourdough bread and and croissants and baguettes. So yeah, they have long queues, and then people buy good bread and not warmed-up bread that is coming from a big factory. I think, uh, yeah, going back to the basics and to have good
0: ingredients and handcrafted food, basically. Yeah, agreed. Just uh, won't take much more of your time, so I know you're busy. The um, just a little bit on your travelling. So, when you do get to travel around and and the sourcing, and tell me about you know, obviously some amazing places. what what are you what are your favorite couple of places that you love to go? I know you probably got got lots, but whatever. yeah, it's
1: it's really hard to say that because uh, it's all about the people you meet and they are amazing. Wherever I go, I mean, be it in, in farming in Rwanda or in, in yeah. Brazil, it's very humble and uh, it's, it's always a very personal experience. So, And I can't even say what's my favorite coffee anymore. I feel like I have many children and they should all marry. <laughs> They're all pretty in their own ways. No matter how big the body or how acidic the nature, you know, that's 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 one thing. And and also at the B two B side, you know, we we do a lot of business outside of Germany. And and you start, and that's really so refreshing. You start looking beyond political or or beliefs or any any cultural, and it's all coffee person to coffee person you know and so um i feel like that's also almost liberalizing um kind of experience if you just think about i i take a very extreme example going to saudi arabia for instance yeah. which is very different from our culture and um, has has many um particularities and and restrictions in in many ways and and then the curtains go down and then um people are slipping in through the back door and they are lifting their <laughs> um, and and you're cupping together and 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 and, and that's such a um, such a in such a community experience it's it's making everything equal and you just talk about coffee and where you had your be- coffee that you remember and I feel like co- coffee is really giving us that opportunity to be democratic if you will and 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 so I feel like it's an amazing business to be in. Even you know it's oftentimes not very rewarding financially, and uh, it's it's maybe not a high flying career. But I remember my first uh, year in in, in in baking and serving and making coffee. I, and and I come from a like finance background. I worked in the city of London, and okay. and suddenly I'm baking six o'clock in the morning in my little coffee shop, and then people are coming and they're buying my cake, and I felt. I was never happier in my life uh, than, you know, having people coming back because they like my coffee or my cake. I think that's it's an amazing uh, thing that we have and we should we should always treasure
0: that, you know. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So on your favorite things, maybe if you can't answer your favorite coffee, do you have a favorite process or a favorite drink? Yeah, we are big in fermentation at the moment. So
1: I really do enjoy a clean fermentation where I can still taste the terroir. So I don't want cinnamon sticks in it or booba booba bubble gum or mm. whiskey. I do like that if you push the borders, but I do need to, I need, I need to taste Costa Rica as well. So I feel like it should still taste like a coffee, you know? Mm. <laughs> so favorite, favorite places to visit? I, I recommend Rwanda. Please, everybody should go to Rwanda. And especially talking about uh, composting, like there's no plastic allowed in Rwanda. Uh, Everything is packed in paper. You can't enter with uh, plastic bags. It's uh, the cleanest African country. It's obviously had tragic... Uh, genocide in the 90s and uh, as a result of that you know people are extremely humble it's extremely beautiful and please buy Rwandan coffees Uh, it's very important to the country to support
0: the specialty coffee industry there. Mm, That's interesting so finally a couple of things so obviously the in the weeds in the weeds moment which we discussed obviously i wasn't aware just anyone listening that in the weeds doesn't carry over to to um to germany or probably europe actually. but the um so did you i know probably putting you on the spot but you have a in in the weeds moment at all that you can think of or was it was it that when when you finally moved away from london or
1: uh, i would say probably if that's an in Eats moment, I opened a roastery. That was my second location after working in the in the baby barn. I opened, I started roasting, and I opened a, a very kind of restricted concept on Schönhauser Alley, which was the roastery cafe. And I was very naive. I feel like I felt. And someone warned me from the British coffee scene, asking me, "Ralph, are you aware producing a kilo of uh, coffee at our quality? Um, how much effort would go into that to match the the quality level of what you get delivered from us?" And I said, "Yes, yes, yes, no problem, I can do that." And I buy great green beans and I'm roasting. And but it was uh, it was a very very stressful time to um, to establish a, a roastery and and open a, a, a cafe at the same time. So watching. My baristas being in heavy discussions why they couldn't put milk into the hand brewed coffees while I was focusing on my on my first crack. <laughs> you know that I felt like I was uh, I was uh, in uh, in deep trouble. It was probably the hardest uh, hardest year uh, in my in my in my coffee career. Does it count as a in the weeds moment? Uh, yeah, I'll take
0: that. I think that counts. I think that counts. Uh, and and look where you are now. So. Kudos to what you've done for the, for the coffee community. And I think it's, I think it's fantastic. What, um, have you got any final kind of words of positivity for anyone listening of kind of how we can approach post pandemic, a new world? Oh, just focus on the, on your product and make it as good
1: as you can. And I think that's, these were the concepts that will, uh, um, the quality always prevails. I do believe. So be as individual as you can be. If you love soy milk, have the best soy milk in the world. If you're vegan, then buy the best single origin coffees and serve them black. Don't look for coconut or whatever they drink. <laughs>
0: it tastes like uh, Cornetto ice cream. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I start, um, well, listen, I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you for taking time out your day. And um, cheers. Thank you. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed the episode um, and listening to Ralph. It's a fascinating story. Um, you can obviously buy all the Barnes products if you go online uh, best way probably through the social media and or the website and some of the coffees straight to your door, some of the best coffees you'll ever taste and, and really ethically sourced, as we discussed. So also, Boulshry Coffee is now in Manchester as well as Liverpool so if you are knocking around Cross Street in the city centre please come and say hello to the guys Um, and I'm sure we'll have the barn on as a guest very soon. Thanks again for listening, I really appreciate it that I can keep this podcast going and hope everyone stays safe and has a great Christmas, thanks.